The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at lifehousechurch.org. I feel like the moment I ask it, you're going to immediately start getting defensive, trying to convince yourself that you're winning and not losing. So let me push a little bit firmer because this really isn't like, you know, you don't have to convince me. And really, I hope that this isn't about like you trying to find the answer in your own mind. The the question is like, do you feel like you're winning or losing in your own home, your marriage and your relationship with your kids? At work, in our neighborhoods, are we winning or losing our neighborhoods, our schools? Are we winning or losing in our city? Are we winning or losing our nation? See, the moment I start going down that road, you immediately start going, oh my goodness. I could think of all of the different ways that I'm not convinced right now that we're winning, but maybe feel like we're losing. And I know your mind probably immediately jumps to the news and the crises around us. So let me just throw a study at you, a research study done by a group of psychiatrists. Uh, And the author of the conclusions of the research done by these psychiatrists uh, ended up titling the article, Millions of Americans Are Snapping. And in it, uh, they wrote this. What few seem to realize about the transformation is the sheer stress of living in today's America is driving tens of millions to the point of illness, depression, and self-destruction. Consider the following trends. Suicide has surpassed car crashes as a leading cause of injury death for Americans. Fully one-third of our nation's employees suffer chronic, debilitating stress. This study was done before the pandemic, where today you've got rising levels of suicidal ideation, suicide attempts, and suicide. And by the way, I say that brokenhearted because I know that this touches so many of you so deeply and so personally, and my heart breaks with you. But we also see a rising tide through the pandemic over the last uh, 18 months of people falling into chronic addictions, wrestling with mental health issues, including clinical depression and anxiety. And even if it's not clinical, we see a significant rise in people struggling with ongoing stress. As a result, you and I can start to live in what I think in sports is often called prevent defense, right? Where you're, you're playing the game, but you're really just tr- playing to survive in order to get to the end of the game. And if you're winning, right, prevent defense is you're basically trying to prevent the other team from scoring. And what usually is said is when you're, pre- when you're playing prevent defense, all you're preventing is yourself from winning. And so oftentimes we can kick into prevent defense mode where we're just fighting to survive. Just make it through today. And I think during this season, so many 
who are playing prevent defense have a mindset of, I just have to make it through this season until things start to improve. But as we were all going through, you know, the two weeks to flatten the curve, if anyone had told you 18 months later, we'd still be in this mess, you would think to yourself, there's no way we can make it through. So the challenge is if you're living waiting to make it through to the other side, you know, just, man, I will begin to live when we get out of this. What if we, you know, like, and I'm not saying we're not going to get out of this, but whenever we get out of this, there'll be another this to get out of. Whenever you make it through the mess you're in, there'll be another mess. Whenever you get through the crisis you're in, there'll be another crisis, right? We seem to go from challenge to challenge. And so if you keep waiting to start living and winning until you get through this season, when does it ever begin? And as a result, it's almost like that phrase regarding prevent defense. It's as if people snatched defeat out of the jaws of victory. Meaning victory was certain, and somehow, because of this prevent defense mindset, we managed to snatch defeat out of it. By the way, that's not a political statement. It's just a reality I think that all of us face when we're going through seasons like this. So you can just kind of fight to survive till you get through. And so many Christians in the first century were living like that. They were experiencing incredible persecution and threats and suffering that they started going into hiding. And by the way, that's not an indictment on them. We're seeing churches across the globe that have to go into hiding because they're aware that otherwise they'll be brutally murdered and martyred. And that was what was going on in the early churches back when the apostle John, the only remaining apostle of Jesus, who is isolated on the prison island of Patmos, had a vision of the end of the world. Churches were in hiding, scattered, living aware that at any moment they could be brutally beaten, martyred, and you know, the church decimated. And John has this vision from Jesus of what the end of time will look like. And so he writes it out in a book that get, later gets included in the Bible. And it's called the book of Revelation. It's the last book of the Bible. And in it, John is writing the words of Jesus specifically to seven different churches. And seven churches, six of which were suffering persecution and threats. And I spoke about the one church last week, Sardis, that was not experiencing persecution. They were doing a really good job fitting in with the community around them. They were prospering and doing great. And then Jesus had to correct them. To the church of Philadelphia, Jesus wrote this. This is the next church. And it's written in Revelation chapter three. To the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. It's interesting, this is the only church that Jesus also doesn't provide any correction or any challenge. He only offers compliments and encouragement. Now, now, do you think that's because the church of Philadelphia had not done anything wrong? I mean, was there no one in 
The church of Philadelphia that had sinned or messed up, had they not made any bad decisions? No, 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 that wasn't the case. It's just that when Jesus is looking at a church going through so much suffering, experiencing so much pain, he, he didn't feel, feel the need to point out the flaws. What he wanted to do is just say, I love you. I'm for you. I'm proud of you. Don't quit. Don't quit yet. Come on, stay the course. You've got this. Keep going. In the city of Philadelphia, where the church is experiencing incredible persecution and suffering, Jesus' words are like a, a verbal hug, just to embrace them and hold them and say, hey, I know you want to quit. I know you feel beat down. I know you feel like, man, how long can I keep doing this? He's saying, don't quit. I'm with you. I see how hard you're working. I, I see the effort you're putting in. I, I, I know how you're facing so much challenge and difficulty. I know you feel like you're on the verge of just snapping because you can't make it another day. In fact, you've whispered into each other's ears. I don't know how much longer I can do this. I don't know if I can make it another day. Jesus' words are like a cold glass of water on a hot day to a parched person. His words are life to someone who feels like they're about to die. They're hope to those in despair. And so what he's saying, the challenge he's giving to the church of Philadelphia is that you can live in victory. That, that's right. The takeaway for us 2000, almost 2,000 years later is that we are invited. When you feel like you can't make it another day, when you can't go another step, when you feel like all around you there's just defeat and you're looking and saying, I don't, I don't know that I'm winning. I don't know that my home is winning. My marriage is winning. I don't know if I'm winning at work. I don't know if our neighborhoods are winning. I don't know if our nation's winning. Jesus' words are an encouragement to the church that just feels beat down and beat up and is going through suffering. And he says, you're gonna make it. Live in victory. And, and you know the real reason why we don't live in victory? It's not what's going on in our marriage or our kids or our community, our city, our nation. It's that every one of us have our own deeply personal defeat inside of us. We're carrying a hidden, dark, sinister defeat. It's a spiritual defeat called sin. Sin is a spiritual battle or, or it's a spiritual enemy inside of every one of us. The problem is that you and I, from the moment we're born, we're all, we've already lost the battle. And so we lose this battle to sin where sin wins the day and it defeats us and it causes us to live in perpetual defeat spiritually. Sin separates us from relationship with God because sin at its very core is a, is a desire to go against God. And so we choose to sin because it defeats us, drives us away from God toward things that we believe are good for us but really are bad. And so we live a life of sin and it leads to a forever ruin. So we go through our whole life, defeated, beat up, losing, facing a forever loss. I mean, this is dark, this is not fun. Who wants to come and hear this? Well, I have good news for you. The good news is that God doesn't leave it that way. 
God intervenes in our story. Jesus said to the church of Philadelphia, he goes, I am the open door and I give you an open door. He, he, he steps in and he goes, look, I, I know that you feel beat up. I know you feel discouraged. I know you, you're not even sure you can make it another day. I have good news for you. Jesus said, I've come so that you can have life. And you feel like everywhere around you, there's closed doors. I'm the open door. In essence, I've made a way for you to win the day. I made a way, how? Jesus said, I came from heaven to earth. I've taken on your sin. The battle you faced with sin and lost, I stepped into that battle and I won. How? Because I went to the cross and I gave my life as the payment for sin. I absorbed your eternal judgment through my death a supernatural victorious death that defeated sin, that crushed eternal judgment. I paid the debt for you so that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is forgiven and given new and forever life because Jesus not only died, he rose from the dead, victorious over sin, over death, and over eternal judgment. So when you believe in him, you're forgiven and given new and forever life. In, in essence, when you believe in Jesus, his victory becomes your victory. And so let me just encourage you. If you're walking in defeat, you don't have to. If you're living losing, you don't have to. The win of God can become your win. The life of God can become life in you forever. How you simply believe in Jesus by faith. Jesus, I believe in you. I love you. I'm asking that you would come and you would forgive me of my sins and give me new and forever life. And if that's the commitment you're making, man, you can, you can whisper that to God. You can shout that to God. You can personally and privately pray that to God, but then let someone know. Man, when you're making that kind of a commitment, you don't have to keep it quiet. All right, and so would you let us know? Text the name Jesus to 81411 and you're gonna let us know. And when you send us that text, we're gonna send you a quick response to give you some resources. And we wanna quickly follow up with you to help you and encourage you as you begin this new journey of life in relationship with God where his win becomes your win and his life becomes life inside of you. Look, when you have the life of God in you, and you begin to go through life. Now you don't have to live feeling defeated every day. In fact, that's really the key challenge to the church of Philadelphia. And so let me just kind of give you the encouraging challenge. And then I wanna unpack this and explain how you live this out on a regular basis. The takeaway I want you to have is this, living in victory means not quitting when you're down when you feel beat up, when you feel discouraged, when you feel like I can't go another day. It, living in victory means you don't quit when you're down, when you're discouraged, when you're frustrated. Not quitting is not passive. Listen to me. Not quitting is an active response to to when you feel discouraged, right? So when you feel discouraged and sometimes you just lay in your bed and you're like, I don't even wanna get out of bed. 
Living in victory goes like this. I might feel down, I might feel beat up, but I'm gonna get out of bed and I'm gonna begin to do the activity of victory even when I feel defeated. I'm gonna act out my victory even when I feel frustrated. I'm gonna begin to live like I'm winning because it doesn't matter how I feel. It matters what God has done for me and what he is doing in me and what he's about to do through me. And so I'm not gonna quit even when I'm down. So here's what Jesus says to the church of Philadelphia. Again, a church that's beat up, beat down, persecuted, threatened. He says this, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world. He said, you know what you did? Here's what you did right. You endured patiently. That, that's what it means to not quit even when you're down. It means that you don't let up. You endure. You keep going. You don't let up. So, so I challenge you. What, what is Jesus saying to them? He's going like this. Look, here's what you did. Even when you were threatened and persecuted and suffering, you continued on doing the right things. You kept my commands, meaning you kept obeying me even when it hurt you. You kept my commands, meaning you kept doing the right things, even when others called them the wrong things, even when it cost you. And so my encouragement to you is when you, when you feel like you get to the end of yourself and you can't go another moment, don't quit, even when you're down. You live in victory. Why? Because God has given you victory. So what does that mean? It means you keep loving you keep serving. You keep forgiving others. You keep serving God by serving others. You keep being generous, even when it's uncomfortable and difficult. You keep connecting with others in community. You keep sharing. You keep offering hope in the midst of darkness. You keep living your life boldly for Jesus. You keep going all in. You give it everything you've got. You leave it all on the field. You don't back off and play prevent defense. No, you stay on the offensive. Now, let me, let me give you some encouragement because I hope this is, if I had to give you anything, if I had to plant something inside of you, right? The big idea is live in victory. But let me, let me give you the why. Let me give you the how. Here it is, right? Let me jump ahead to, to the, right, the book of Revelation. It's the last book of the Bible. So let's go a little further into the book. We're going to go to Revelation chapter 17. Now look, there's only 22 chapters. So we're getting kind of toward the end of the whole story. He says, here, here's what's going to happen. They will wage war against the lamb. So this evil darkness will wage war against the lamb. Now, lamb is a figurative term for Jesus who gave his life as a sacrifice. So it's referencing an Old Testament idea or an ancient idea of how they would offer sacrifices as a payment for sin. And so he's saying, this evil will wage a battle against Jesus who gave his life for us. But the lamb will triumph over them because he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. So there's gonna be this big, epic battle. You wanna know how it goes? Yeah. Anybody curious? All right, so we're gonna jump ahead. Like almost to the end. Revelation chapter 20. So we only got a few chapters left and the last chapters are just telling you what, how great it's gonna be at the end. So this is kind of the moment of battle, all right? So here we go. It's going to be up, on the, it's going to be up for you to, uh, to read. He will talk them into going to war 
and will gather a huge army. So this is like the evil darkness. This is the, the evil forces. He's going to talk them into going to war and will gather a huge army, millions strong. They will stream across the earth, surround and lay siege to the camp of God's holy people, the beloved city. They'll no sooner get there. I love it. I love this. Then fire will pour out of heaven and burn them all up. Like, I don't know if you're all like Avengers people like me and my family, but like, you know, like they have a whole like infinity war battle, the movie where you're like, you're watching it and it ends like, you're like, you gotta be kidding me. I, I paid to watch this. This is the worst movie ever, right? So then you're gonna come back for Endgame. This is how the story goes. So you have like Thanos taking over, destroying the whole world, you know, oh, it's horrible. Imagine like Endgame opens with like, all the evil bad people are like coming together. They're ready to like just wipe out everything. And like, I don't know, one of the living Avengers just like goes, like instead of like going like that, they just do like, I don't know, they do the reverse and boom, the whole movie's over. Like, yay, good wins. That's it. Like it only, the whole movie only lasts like 10 seconds. Like good wins, end of the movie. There's nothing else to see. That's this story. It's like, yeah, it's all done. The end. And the devil will... The devil who deceived them will be hurled into the lake of fire. Like, boom, fire comes, boom. Devil goes down to hell forever in fire and brimstone where he joins the beast and the false prophet. The three in torment around the clock for ages without end. And then that's it. That's the end. That's the battle. Now, I am not, the term for the study of the end times is called eschatology, all right? And so you have people who have, you know, PhDs in eschatology. So I, I just wanna, I wanna admit something. I'm not an eschatologist. I am not a brilliant theologian who can deeply understand this stuff. In fact, when I read the book of Revelation, sometimes like you, I just scratch my head and I'm like, what? I mean, I took a lot of classes on this. I've studied, I've read books on lots of books, books this thick, and I still scratch my head. But there's one thing I get, and I'm pretty sure I understand. I don't think it takes a brilliant mind. Here's what I understand about what I just read to you. God wins. And if you're on God's side, you win too. Good wins. So good wins, God wins, and you win if you're with God. I'm just saying, I don't think you have to be brilliant to read the whole book of Revelation and say, I think the point is God wins. And you can live in victory today if you live in light of God's victory at the end. If you know God has won, is winning, and will win, why don't you live today like you're winning? Like you're on the side of victory. Stop acting defeated, stop thinking defeated, stop living defeated, and start acting, living, thinking in victory. So don't quit, even when you're down, when you're beat up, when you're discouraged, when you're suffering, when you're going through what feels like hell on earth. I've said this before, but I'll say it again because I think you need to hear it. For those who believe in Jesus, whatever hell you feel on earth is the only hell you'll ever experience. But for those that are perishing without Jesus, whatever taste of heaven they get on earth, this is the only heaven they'll ever know. So for you, why don't you live like you're in victory? 
So don't quit when you're down. Let me read Revelation chapter three. These are the next words of Jesus to the church of Philadelphia. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I love it. Now, you, you, don't, you might not know a lot about the city of Philadelphia, which, by the way, one of the ways I can help you remember this sermon, in case you will forget it, is Philadelphia is also the place on the planet where they grow the most raisins. So the next time you're having raisin bread or you put raisins in a meal or you have raisin bran or, I don't know, oatmeal raisin cookie, remember Philadelphia. This is the place where they grow most of the raisins on the planet. It's also a place with a lot of earthquakes. And so as a city, they're constantly being shaken, buildings fall down, and they have to rebuild them constantly, including churches. So Jesus uses a reference like, I am the one who is victorious and I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. I'm gonna make you last, I'm gonna make you last and I'm gonna make you strong and permanent in a place where everything is falling apart. You, you know what he's getting at? Living in victory means overcoming even when you feel defeated. You're gonna overcome no matter what. And let, let me push into this a little bit. So imagine a city where every so many years there's earthquakes that just devastate the buildings. And then they spend a couple years rebuilding the buildings and then they have an earthquake and everything collapses, including the churches. Here's what you would not know. They took these words, the church of Philadelphia heard these words of Jesus. And for the next 1200 years, the church continued on generation after generation, 60 generations of parents and children and grandchildren and great and great grandchildren and on and on and on. They could trace back family records 1,200 years, not only 1,200 years, but like the same people who are reaching new people. That's incredible. Not only did the church survive 1,200 years, but then they would send people out to start other churches. That's right, the Church of Philadelphia was a church-planting church. They, it, uh, history says that the Church of Philadelphia started churches as far away as the, the nation of India. What? They took the words of Jesus seriously. You wanna know why they only lasted 1,200 years? Um, at that time, the, Tur the Turkish Muslims were taking over the known world. They were going in and they were just murdering Christians in mass. Um, I think this hits close to home today, right? So imagine kind of what we're seeing unfold in Afghanistan. That's what was going on across um, the, the Europe and the known world. And so the Turks are coming in just wiping out churches and Christians and you know, demanding people to submit and deny Jesus. And so uh, at that point, they had withstood a couple waves of the Turks coming. But the, the, the final time the Turkish Muslims came in, they demanded, this is 1,200 years in, they demand that they deny Jesus or be put to death. And they refused. They said, we're not going to deny Jesus. And they were, all of them were brutally murdered and martyred for their faith. And, and you could, it's almost like you could hear them re re reminding themselves of the words of Jesus who said, I am the holy and true one. I am the key of David saying, I mean, he's saying, I'm the one you can count on. When you can't trust your leaders, when you can't trust politicians, when you can't trust anyone else, you, you don't know what to believe on the news. I am holy, me, I keep my word and I'm true. I do what I say I'm gonna do. And I have the key 
of David, which means I open the door to my kingdom and anyone and everyone is welcome when you believe in me by faith. And it's like you can hear them just holding on to the words of Jesus saying, we're not gonna give up. We're not gonna back down. We're gonna keep on. We're gonna endure patiently even to the end. And then they're devastated. But man, 1,200 years of living in victory. And to every one of the churches that Jesus speaks to, he uses this statement, to him who overcomes. And so let me just read each of those to you. He goes like this, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. I'll give you eternal life. Uh, they will, to him who overcomes, they will not be hurt at all by the second death. They will live forever. I will give some of the hidden manna. You will eat the bread of God's life for all of eternity. I will give you authority over nations. I will be, uh, you will be dressed in white. I will make you a pillar in the temple of God. I will give you the right to sit with me on my throne. Jesus is saying, I'm gonna give you victory and you're gonna, to everyone who overcomes, when you feel defeated. You just keep overcoming. You keep going forward. You don't back down, which means in my mind, here, here's what I think when I think of overcoming. I think, I know I'm on the winning team, but I'm not kicking into prevent defense. I'm running up the score. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pillage hell. I'm going to populate heaven. I'm going to take back in the name of God, I'm going to work every day. I'm going to, I'm going to work like everything depends on me, and I'm going to pray like everything depends on God, right? Like, I'm going, to, I'm going to, through the strength of God and the victory of God, we're going to take back what the enemy has taken from us, from our homes, from our kids, from our schools, from our community, from our nation. And I'm going to fight for the goodness of God to be known across my land. I'm going to, I'm going to live on the offense, not playing on the defensive, I don't know about you, but I believe there's probably a step you can take to begin to overcome, to begin to live in victory. What is that for you? What would it mean for you to stop playing defense and start living in victory? What is that practical step that you can take? How, how different would you live if today you had an absolute confidence that God wins. And because God wins, you win. And therefore, I'm gonna live like I'm winning. Man, what is that practical step you can take today? Now, I know as a church, we're gonna live in victory. We're gonna, we're, we're gonna, um, we're going to go, we're not going to quit even when we feel beat down. And man, the last 18 months has been rough, right? Like, let's just be honest. Let's admit that, right? But we're not going to quit. And we're going to overcome even when we feel defeated. Meaning, I don't care what the scoreboard says. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring out my best. I'm not going to put in my third stringers. I'm going to stay in the game. I'm going to keep going hard. I'm going to keep coming up with new plays because it's time for fresh. It's time for new. It's time for creative, man. Like, let's stay sharp. Let's give it our best. Let's give it our all. I don't want to play prevent defense. I don't know about you. So what does that look like? Well, here, I was just thinking about this. I, I love the words of Jesus. He goes, I have given you, I am an the open door and I've given you an open door of opportunity. And for the church of Philadelphia, that open door was 1,200 years of faithful, life-changing impact in their city and in cities as they started new churches. I love it. So I don't know 
if we have 1,200 years in front of us? I don't know. But I can tell you this. What God has put in my heart and what Lifehouse Church has, we have 1,200 years worth of vision ahead of us. If God gives us 1,200 years, I promise you our vision will keep going for the next 1,200 years. Now, obviously, we'll be long forgotten, but it's like planting sequoia seeds. Who knows who planted it, but man, that thing just keeps growing and it, and every, it becomes visible to anyone and everyone who goes by it. And God put a sequoia seed vision in Lifehouse Church. And so with that, we, we just want to take a moment and share a little bit of our story and then a little bit of where we're going and then just do a quick little cool celebration with you guys. So with that, check this out. Wonderful attributes can never be found in a church, any church. True fulfillment and peace in life can only come through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. At the Lifehouse, we desire to strengthen your spiritual journey and invite you into a relationship with a living and loving God. The Lifehouse is a new and exciting church in the Hagerstown area where we desire to be a family of friends celebrating an ancient faith in a casual atmosphere. I am completely amazed and humbled by the journey we've had of both starting and leading Lifehouse. I mean, we moved here in 2003, Laura, myself, and our one daughter, Rebecca, and we started our home with just five people. And in the first two and a half years, we moved to seven different locations. In 2005, we formally opened or launched Lifehouse Church, and we had 24 people. Half of them were kids. From the very beginning, it was always a dream that people are invited to and can know God and love God, be loved by God, and then express that love back to God. So grow in knowing God, receiving salvation, gathering in corporate worship, growing in discipleship, and then growing in personal worship. Early on, I had this moment where I just felt like God spoke to me and said, there's enough of Jesus in you to change the world. And that's what it meant for me just to simply know God because I know God and I love Jesus. That love can both change me and it can change the people around me. It can change a neighborhood. It could transform a city. Maybe it could change cities. The Leitersburg Cinemas is where I first started serving at Lifehouse about 12 years ago. <laughs> and it really is where I found family. It's where I found friends and relationships that truly will not only last a lifetime, but legitimately forever. Because what we do is serving God together. It's going through the ups and downs of life together. It's going into spiritual battle together. I've seen those relationships and those friendships form in every single team and every single ministry that I've been a part of, that forges bonds that can't be matched. So there was a time in my family's life when we hadn't really been committed to a church for a while. And so when I found Lifehouse, we were still meeting at Eastern Elementary School in the cafeteria, hadn't been to the cinemas yet. And the first series that I remember us doing was God at the Billboards. And I remember thinking like, this church belongs in its culture. Being a part of Lifehouse for a long time, attending, serving, and even coming on staff, I'm in the role now where the very things that impressed me about this church, I've been blessed to be able to contribute to. Man, we're not just creating an environment that's enticing or welcoming. We're doing it because we believe it sets the stage for God to make a difference in people's lives. And Lifehouse is intentional about meeting the culture's needs because the culture is people and the church is people. And that's why we exist to make a difference in people. 
in and through the church, every one of us can make a difference. Every one of us are invited and called to multiply. If you believe in Jesus, you multiply by inviting others, not only to church, but to believe in Jesus. If you're a leader, you train leaders. If you're a volunteer, you invite others to be on the dream team. As our services grow, we start new services. As a campus grows, we launch new campuses. And as a church, we've had the privilege of starting more than 10 different churches and investing into and partnering with starting more than 30 different churches. And we believe the best is yet to come, which means there's not only still more to do, but there's a lot more multiplying to do. And so we wanna make sure that we keep our message, our look, our marketing fresh and relevant to the moment in the story of Lifehouse that God has us. And so we did a redesign of our look. And so check it out. This is our new logo and our new look. And so at the center, know God, the outline, find family, and then the broader circle, make a difference. Let's do this, Lifehouse. Know God, find family, make a difference. The best is yet to come. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.